Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Natalie McLean is the author of Wine Witch on Fire, rising from the ashes of divorce, depression, defamation, and drinking too much. This episode was guest hosted by Julie Chavez, who is the host of Ask a Librarian podcast, and also the author of the upcoming Zibby book's title, Everyone But Myself. Natalie McLean's previous books, Red, White, and Drunk All Over, A Wine-Soaked Journey from Grape to Glass, and Unquenchable, a tipsy quest for the world's best bargain wines, were each selected as one of Amazon's best books of the year. 
She was named the world's best drinks journalist at the World Food Media Awards and has won four James Beard Foundation Journalism Awards. She's the only person to have won both the MFK Fisher Distinguished Writing Award from the James Beard Foundation and the MFK Fisher Award for Excellence in Culinary Writing from Les Dames d'Escoffier International. Natalie is the host of Unreserved Wine Talk, selected as one of the best drinks podcasts by the New York Times. She offers online food and wine pairing classes where she connects personally with those around the planet who share her passion for wine at nataliemcclain.com. Natalie is going to be doing a wine pairing with our book for August, Wine People by Michelle Wilgen. So for Michelle Wilgen's book club, Natalie will be doing a wine pairing. It should be lots of fun. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so happy to talk to you today. I am so thrilled to be here with you, Julie. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really, I just finished your book last night, and it is Wine Witch on Fire, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much. I really enjoyed this memoir, and there was so much in it. Tell me a little bit about the story behind this book. Sure. So, you know, from the title, Wine Witch on Fire, you might think it's about an angry woman who drinks a lot of wine and owns a lot of cats, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not. And it does have humor and a happy ending, spoiler alert, despite all the dismal Ds in that subtitle. But it is the story of one woman, that would be me, how I resurrected my life and career in the glamorous but sexist wine industry. And so my no good, terrible, bad vintage starts with my husband of 20 years asking for a divorce, which kind of caught me out of out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And then the year ends with a mob of rivals coming after my job. And that's the defamation part. And so I really had to dig deep that year to find the inner resources and strength, um, you know, to, to reconnect with the vineyards that once brought me joy. That's why I started writing about wine. And the friends who had sustained me, I kind of wasn't talking to them about what was going on. And then my own belief in second chances. So I call Wine Witch on Fire a true coming of middle age story about transforming your life and finding love along the way. Mm. I love that coming of middle age, because I feel like as women, there are so many more cycles and revolutions in our lives than we have thought about before, right? So that's exactly like there's lots of stories about the ingenue and then the lion in winter. And then there's this big gap in the middle uh, for middle aged, especially women's stories. And I think more of them need to be told. I couldn't agree more. I really enjoyed that about your book because you do, it's such a different coming of age tale when you have more experience behind you than when you're young. So I really, there was a lot of insight there that I liked. So you came out of this time. What made you decide to write this book? Well, for the first five years, I thought, I can't even look at the notes. Mm. This happened 10 years ago, but the, the themes and the issues are almost more relevant today. But for the first five years, I had to lock it away. But the story kept ricocheting around in my head, and I thought, I have to let this out, even as a private exercise in making sense of what had happened. And then, as the years went by, I was hearing more and more stories from women in the wine industry, but also women friends in other industries like sport and tech and finance. And they were the same stories. The specifics, of course, were different, Mm -hmm. but the feelings and the themes and the issues were the same. So I thought, well... Could my story help? I don't know. Like, it's such a different life. But 
I was inspired by memoirist Glennon Doyle, who said, write from a scar, not an open wound. Mm -hmm. And then the next natural question is, well, why write about it, you know, when all the healing is done? Yeah. But poet Sean Doherty, I think, has the answer. And he said, because somewhere, someone out there right now has a wound in the exact shape of your words. And that really gave me goosebumps. And I thought, well, you know, even if someone hasn't gone through a divorce, they've probably felt loneliness or the, you know, the longing for love. Mm -hmm. They may not have been attacked by an online mob, but they've probably felt some sort of fear for the future or career disappointment. And I think when we read a memoir that can put words to feelings that we've had ourselves, maybe push them away, when they can be articulated like that, I think that can be healing. I agree. And I think you did a really good job of describing a lot of the pieces, even prior to your divorce, in terms of feeling lonely in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That there's a sort of element there that you were figuring out as you went. And I think that's really true. Those are beautiful words from that poet because it's it's true. We do have, there is a sense of, am I really doing anything by telling this story? And yes. it's a an act of faith to tell it and believe that it will be of service to someone. I know. And we hear the words, oh, I, you know, memoirists always say, I want to share this so people feel less alone or to be seen and to be heard. But, you know, I had to dig down to what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, does it does it really help someone? But I think it, it can because you're going through somebody else's story. So there's a, a safety element there that it's not all of your hot buttons or your specifics. But just seeing how someone can, you know, experience some of the same feelings you've had, walk through the flames mm -hmm. and come out on the other side, stronger, wiser, fiercer. That to me, you know, is what a memoir can do. Yeah. A real element of hope that, yes. okay, this yep. person survived these pieces and came out on the other side and I can too. And it is interesting how memoir is so personal until it's not. Because exactly. as soon as you write it and send it out, it's... These readers are now consuming it, but they are going to read it through their lens and mm -hmm. they'll take whatever resonates with them. So yeah, that makes total sense. Ooh, I love the way you put that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, okay, so your, how did this book position yourself in your mind? Because your two previous books, you know, kind of are humorous about drinking too much and all the things. And I like that you chose to say drinking too much instead of, you know, addiction, especially, or alcoholism, or, and, you know, another term. I thought that was really good. But how did this position for you? Because mm -hmm. you were kind of funny about drinking too much in your other books. And then exactly. now, because it was red wine and drunk and unquenchable, correct? Exactly. Red, okay. white, and drunk all over, but yes. And drunk all over. Gist. That's right. I knew I was missing something. <laughs> yeah. I, I got stuck. But so those are your first two. And then now we're this. So how did that, how did that feel for you? So I like that you picked up on the fact that I, I used drinking too much and not, as you say, addiction or drunkenness would have been a tidier subtitle, right? Divorce, yes. defamation and drunkenness. But I think, you know, I love memoirs about, like I, I consumed, I binge read uh, memoirs like Mary Carr's and so on mm -hmm. um, about having a substance abuse disorder. But I think especially post-pandemic, I think what's more relatable now is that we're all kind of on a spectrum. If we haven't given up drinking completely, and some of us need to do that, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we go up and down. Progress is forward and backwards in terms of drinking and how much we're drinking, how much we'd like to be drinking. 
the way we moderate or manage our drinking. And so I really dove into that in the book. And I think, well, I know that early readers are saying they really love being a fly on the wall during my therapy sessions as I kind of wrestled with, hey, I'm a, I drink for a living. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a wine writer. Do I just walk away from all of this? You know, my father was an alcoholic. It runs in my family. So there's that kind of fear and concern. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my my own wonderful therapist, Miranda, said, you know, I think that might be punitive. Let's see if we can focus on harm reduction first and some techniques. And so while this isn't a self-help book, I share a lot of tips, again, that have really resonated with early readers about moderating my own consumption as a professional. And so things like, what was the thought just before the thought that said, I need a drink? Mm. And was it about stress or relaxation, enjoyment? And if it was about stress, you know, could I find a different way to handle that? You know, go for a walk, take a bath, watch a show. Just that pause sometimes can break that chain of immediately, I want a drink. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's drinking too much. And you're right. You know, my first two books were all, I used my own over drinking or drinking habits as fodder for humor. Mm-hmm. And now I'm using my over drinking habits as I hope feel for discussion on over drinking, especially among women. I mean, during the pandemic, you know, women's over drinking soared compared mm-hmm. to the general population. And I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that. So I think it's time to have that discussion, both in my industry, you know, the wine industry has the highest rate of substance abuse of all professions. We don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame, but also more broadly. Mm-hmm. You're so right. It's it's such a tricky subject, too, because you wrote in the book about how you would read these memoirs of people with substance abuse disorders, and you it's easy to think, oh, I'm not having a vodka soda at 8 a.m., so I'm good to go, right? <laughs> exactly. And and so it is, it's tough to have an honest conversation about that. Mm-hmm. And I really liked your therapist's approach with the harm reduction and the pause between the thought and the action, right? I yes. mean, that's something I should probably do more in my entire life. So we that's, all can do it. Right. <laughs> yes. It's exactly. amazing how therapy nuggets really apply in more than one situation, don't they? They do. They do. <laughs> and you know, like the the whole you know, I'm not hiding a vodka bottle in the diaper bag, so I must be fine. Yes. But then I had to turn that, you know, mirror on myself and say, well, are women or other people, not just women, looking at me and saying, well, look at what she drinks. I must be fine. Was I, you know, bringing more pleasure or pain in the world? Was I being an enabler by joking so much about my drinking habits? I really had to confront myself and have a real talk. And that's part of what's in the book. Well, and I applaud you for that, though, because I think it's a necessary conversation to have, especially because we are in the land of rosé all day or the Mm -hmm. age of rosé all day, right? Where it is, I mean, you can't go 10 feet without advertisements, endorsements, all of these ideas. So to, to actually step away from that and say, is this healthy for me? Is it something that's enjoyment or am I letting it get the best of me? I think that's so wise and hard to do for a lot of people. It is hard to do. And, you know, I mean, as mothers, we don't have time for a lot and we we're juggling a lot, of course. Yes. But the message on some 
wine labels seems to be that we're either babes or battle axes, you know? So we're either reaching for brands like Little Black Dress or Stiletto, or else we're just trying to obliviate another day of exhaustion with wines like Mommy's Juice and Mommy's Time Out. And, you know, there's, there's lots of laugh out loud, you know, memes, wine mom culture is still going strong. But under that, I think there's a bitter edge of resentment. No one's thanking mom, so mom will thank herself with another drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't a bystander in all of this. I was team captain. I called my glass of wine, mommy's, you know, at 5 p.m. especially, mommy's little helper. It was helping me get through that arsenic hour, you know, that time of day when your serotonin takes a natural dip and you want to take arsenic or administer it to those around you. Instead, you might go for a glass of wine. That was an amazing term, by the way. I had never heard that. And I was like, that is so true because those hours in a mom's day, I mean, you're just like, I'm not going to make it. I know. And you need some sort of transition aside from a tranquilizer to sort of bridge from your busy work day to home life without, you know, snapping at somebody. Yes. And I just think it comes from all of the over demands that society places on us and that we place on ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I had to start giving myself permission slips to like stop at five mm-hmm. or 6 p.m. It's like, you know, I used to say, okay, I'll get one more productive hour in if I give myself a glass of wine. Keep going on that email. It's like, oh, you know, that's, it's just, you have to like step back at a certain point and say, you know, enough's enough. Yeah. Instead of addressing or using alcohol as a band aid for Mm -hmm. overwork and overdoing it, it is a question of how can I just be good to myself on the regular so I don't feel this need to escape at 5 p.m. To tranquilize or whatever. (laughs) Yes. Although I will say I feel like that hour, no matter what, is is a touch and go one. But maybe you could exercise or go on a walk or something It is. Just change your energy. I find just getting outside, like I don't think it's going to work, and then it does. It's like, so just trust yourself for a minute get out, do something, and just change that focus briefly. But, you know, even just going back to those those labels that target women, yes, I think there's an even deeper concern about what's happening there. Wine marketing generally does not target men the same mm. way it targets women. The implied message with, you know, little black dress and girls night out is that women need a reason to have a glass of wine, whether it's girlfriends getting together, fancy occasion, or just Again, another day of exhaustion done. No one asks a man why he wants to have a drink. He has one because he wants one. Mm. And some of these wine labels and wine marketing strike me the way Virginia Slim's cigarettes used to market those as as torches of freedom back in the 60s. Yes. Or so I'm told. (laughs) I'm not that old, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's like now it's turned to wine. And those labels that profit from powerlessness or a feeling of thanklessness, Mm. I think we need to re-examine them, especially as women, and become better consumers of wine and drinkers of wine, both in what we drink and how much we drink, because we vote with our dollars. Yes. Ooh, I really like your take on that. That makes a lot of sense. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the orchid brain because I thought this Mm. was a really interesting insight that you had. So I think, or that was provided really in a conversation with your therapist, Right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Okay. So That's she right. said yes. the orchid brain is delicate, hypersensitive, and acutely self-aware, which by the way, I'm pretty sure I have one of those too. So <laughs> does that, do you, since understanding that about yourself, do you embrace it more? Has that mm-hmm. made it easier to kind of identify that? Because I think the hypersensitivity and acute self-awareness can be just so tricky. It's a lot to carry. It is. I told her I wanted a cactus brain. <laughs> How could I get one of the, those? <laughs> May I order that? Is there a catalog like in Sky oh, Mall? Maybe we can get it. <laughs> if only. Oh my goodness. I just, you know, like, so the, this hyper awareness, I think again, is is a large part of many women's existence, especially writers, but anyone, you know, who has a sensitivity to their environment and it's just too much coming in. Mm-hmm. Part of that is I, I've been um, officially not diagnosed, I don't know what the word is, but categorized as a super taster. So that means I have more taste buds on average, and it makes me acutely aware to everything, not just wine, which can be a good thing in tasting, Sure. but you know, the person who diagnosed this said, I'll bet you take out the tags from all of your clothing, I'll bet you drink tea, not coffee, and I bet you have thermostat wars with your family. And he was like, check, check, check. So what makes us super tasters, super noticers, or orchid brains is 
great in a lot of ways. It's great for writing. You pick up on all the sensory details. You know, your writing could be alive and rich and really, you know, help the reader envision what's going on in, in your life. But in terms of everyday life, it, it can it can make for lousy socializing, you know, when you're looking at everybody's muscle twitch and everything that they're doing. And it can go into wanting or be linked to wanting to self-medicate, to say, mm. I need to slow down this sensory input. Give me a glass of wine. So being aware of that to your question really helped to just work with that and to know when I have to shut myself down in other ways to go recharge the batteries, but not necessarily with wine. Yeah. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Extreme introvert. Very shy. Yeah. But I learned to perform early on. I was a dancer, Highland dancer in uh, competitive Scottish Highland games with the kilts and the bagpipes and everything. And I came from, um, my mom was a single mom, a school teacher. And so we moved around a lot. So I stopped answering the door when the kids came to knock to play, but I learned how to perform and compete and, you know, be all in performance wise. So it was either a big crowd or one-on-one with mom generally. So Mm. definitely an introvert with some social skills to cope. (laughs) Social skilled introvert. Yes. Well, that makes a lot of sense though, that there is something to be said for maybe the, the safety of a larger group. And as opposed to kind of that middle ground where you're not sure if you can be fully engaged or fully disengaged, right? It sounds like you chose or you preferred environments where you knew the rules and the expectations. Exactly, Julie. That's really a good observation. And with large crowds, they're anonymous. You can't yes. see them. You're not tuning in one-on-one with anyone. So it's it's that group of three or four to six that just like, okay, <laughs> let me try to yeah. take a deep breath like, here. I'm in my nightmare. Come on in. Yeah. The water's warm. Exactly. <laughs> Join me here. It, it can be friends too, like nicest people on the planet, but it's just, you have to develop techniques for dealing with that if you're yeah. an introvert. Yeah. But that's such a gift of therapy and Mm. kind of that self-examination and asking those questions, what works for me, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, as opposed to, like you said, let me just cope with it. And then I don't ever really get to the other side of this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The self-awareness and therapy go a long way toward many things, you know, Progress is never linear, so there's lots of like forwards and backwards, but you know, it's I think it's the struggle that counts. I really liked the way that you were so honest about that as well, in terms of finding a balance with your drinking. That it mm-hmm. was, you know, this isn't I'm constantly laboring under the idea that progress can be linear. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, setbacks can be hard. So it's it's good to read about that and just be reminded like this is this is how life goes, right? One step it forward, is. two steps back. So it is. And it's all wrapped up with a whole b- bunch of other things. This is really good therapy. Thanks, Julie, for, <laughs> for sitting on, having me into your, your private session here. But, you know, the other things I deal with, which I'm sure a lot of people will, you know, feel resonant with, but it, perfectionism yes. and competitiveness. And they are like, you know, a boa constrictor and a cobra, one will squeeze the joy of life out of you and the other will bite you with envy. You know, So all of these things are, are wrapped together. And, you know, what a good therapist can do is untangle them and try to get down to the underlying issues. Because for me, 
Fortunately, my overdrinking was really tied to the depression from the divorce and the anxiety from the online mobbing. Yes. And once I dealt with that, that that instant need to have another drink really alleviated. Didn't go away completely. I still have to manage it, but it really, really helped. Yeah. And that's such a gift, I think, of this book that I really appreciated because it is easy to move through our lives on autopilot Mm -hmm. until something becomes such an issue that it's so far gone that now we have other fallout to deal with from it, as opposed to, you know, let me ask myself these questions. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Perfectionism and competitiveness. Uh, Check and check also on Julie's personality. (laughs) profile as well. So I think, I think you and I have a few things in common. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm getting that sense. (laughs) Yes. I'm feeling it. I wanted to ask you write that you had lost touch with joy in the writing Mm -hmm. because of the business of production. So was writing this book a different experience for you and what was it that made it so? And I guess, so the first question of that is, did you feel that as a result of your two books or more with your reviews or what kind of, what was the production piece that sort of crushed you? And then how was this one different? After my first two books were published and they did really well. And so I, I was getting more and more people visiting my website and then I got tapped into, you know, SEO, search engine optimization, because I thought, well, let's get more people visiting the yep. site, more people find out about the books, my online courses for food and wine pairing, mobile apps, et cetera. And I felt like I was slowly becoming Google's content rat, you know, so mm. I was trying to do articles that were optimized to get clicks and eyeballs, you know, like the rat presses the pellet gun or whatever in the cage. And But it wasn't nourishing me. I started off writing because it gave me this flow state that lots of folks talk about, that Mm -hmm. when you're writing and you're really into it, you're starting to make creative connections between things that, you know, you've never seen before and it's really happening and it's coming out and onto the page or the screen. That's very healing. But this SEO stuff was the opposite. It was like chasing after, you know, another little pellet. (laughs) It was not my higher self. (laughs) My higher self is not Google's rat. That's amazing. You're so right. Yes, continue. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so getting back to writing a book again, because it was a 10-year gap between books one, two, then this is book three. Mm -hmm. So I was Google's little pet for a while. and um, But getting back into this long flow writing really felt healing for this orchid brain mm. because it it was concentration. It wasn't click, 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 like, 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 you know, whatever. Yes. It was all about making these longer connections and creativity. And I just, you know, I would stop after a writing session and feel like that my brain was healing slowly again. And it was the most wonderful thing. And actually, that's where I started. When I started writing about wine, when I got into it at the first... I didn't even want to do short form wine reviews. Like I just wanted to do these long form narratives because I always admired the, you know, the new journalists like Joan Didion and, you know, Thomas Wolfe and so on, who sort of dove into their subject head first, experienced whatever it was and then wrote about it. And that's what I did for my first two books, like Red, White and Drunk All Over, I become a sommelier for a day, but then I was able to write about it with more depth. Yes. This is the same thing, except this is my life. 
So I definitely dove headfirst into it. But that writing experience, it really, I think it opened up some neural pathways that had gone dark 10 years ago. Oh, that's a beautiful thing to hear. And that makes so much sense. There are so many parallels with the wine world too, right? Where there's the experience of wine and enjoying it and savoring it. And then there's this marketing beast and Mm -hmm. the commodification that then becomes, they're just, they shouldn't go together, but they do. And then it just sucks all the joy right out of it. So it does. It does. Just like consuming the first glass is kind of like that sigh at the end of a long day, especially if it's about relaxation, not stress alleviation. And it's sensory and you're you're smelling it, you're enjoying it, you're feeling it going down into your body. And glass two is okay, well, you know, this is this is now I'm relaxed. But as you keep progressing, if you do, it becomes less about enjoyment and it's just about oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you disconnect from yourself. Like yeah. through wine and alcohol, I was you know, separating my mind from my body. As a dancer, I grew up always connected with my body. That's how I expressed myself. Yeah. But the wine was just disconnecting the two, and I had to come back and and bring it full circle and, and feel connected again. You know, you're reminding me, I wrote a memoir that's about a period where I was deeply depressed. And when I was at the peak of kind of my anxiety, even having a glass of wine was, I mean, it didn't even, it wasn't enjoyable because I was not in my body. And it's such an interesting thing that you're talking about too, where that connection to our bodies is so important and so fundamental. And we, once we lose that, it's just, it's a slippery slope. We're not a whole person anymore. We're just living in our heads. And that's very easy for people who love writing and reading. Yes. I mean, it's glorious sometimes to live in your head, but not all the time. You've got to come back down from the attic of your mind, back down into the sensual part of yourself and feel that fusion that that makes a whole person. Yes. Oh, you're exactly right. <laughs> I want to hear about the book club guide that you've created for this memoir, because I think just even the conversation we're having, I think this is going to bring so much opportunity for people to talk. This would be a great book club book. So thank you. Tell me about the guide. Okay. So um, it is free and downloadable from winewitchonfire.com forward slash guide. And it's quite substantial because it's actually a big part of the book that got taken out Mm. because someone wasn't sticking to word count guidelines. Um, <laughs> Editors, man. They're so yeah, pesky. Yeah, Jeez. But but it was kind of a debate because at the end of each chapter in the memoir, I was recommending wines to kind of pair with the themes and so on. So all of that came out and it's now in this free guide. So not only do you get lots of wines to pair, not just with my book, but lots of other books, but you get tips on how to organize an informal tasting with friends, even if you don't have a book club. But I hear a lot of book clubs are about the wine sometimes more than the book. Indeed. Um, <laughs> and But there are also lots of discussion questions. So even if you know you haven't yet read the book, I think the discussion questions will spark a lot of debate with you know, among your friends or your book club members. And it's it's things like, you know, what do you think about the way wine is marketed to women? Mm. How do we deal with trauma? How do you feel about your own wine consumption? I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to get the gold star and answer every question, but they're <laughs> there 
And they're meaty questions that I was discussing with my own girlfriends at the time and, and, you know, while writing this book. And it was unbelievable how the stories just poured out. Once I opened myself to what was going on in my life and these really hard questions that I was tackling, the stories just came flooding back. And they're Mm -hmm. flooding back from readers, too. I mean, I just, again, it gives me goosebumps because... You know, I got an email the other day from a woman who said, you know, my husband hit the bottle pretty hard during the pandemic because we lost our adult son. He took his own life. Mm. And I credit your book for him getting back on track with, you know, moderating his consumption. And again, I don't claim this to be a self-help book, but that just moves me like that alone is worth everything. And so there's lots of questions that will spark that debate, What you know, even if you're not you know, in a trauma yourself. Yes, but I think, yes. you know, we've all had some experiences along the road that will resonate. So yeah, that I think people really enjoy the the book club guide. Oh, well, it's perfectly timed. Where is the best place to purchase this book? Where can we find it? So it is in bookstores as of June 6th in the US and elsewhere. Uh came out a little earlier in Canada, May 9th. But you can go to winewitchonfire.com because there's links to all the retailers. You can order it online if you can't find it in your bookstore. I have juicy bonuses like online wine tastings and so on for those who purchase the book. And I'm happy to send signed book plates to anyone who does that if you want to make it a gift. Oh, I love it. Well, Natalie, thank you for the time, for your insight, for the conversation. This was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this. You know, Julie, I think we're going to have to have a glass of wine together someday. I accept Okay. (laughs) It's on the calendar. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Me too. It's wonderful. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.